This is Rowena from Pretty Creative, and my drink of choice is an ice-cold white wine. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven, and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office, and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) In this episode, I, Rowena, will be talking to Nikki and Lorene of Crushed Communications, a dynamic work-wife duo with a passion for all things PR, print and marketing. I've had the absolute pleasure of seeing this team in action as head designer for their local lifestyle publication. Crush Magazine truly showcases their passion for their hometown by encouraging people to fall in love with the Bundaberg region. If you would like to see more, jump over to www.crushmagazine.com.au. There you'll find the current issue, the picnic issue, and, due to drop in September, the salt issue. Right, let's jump into it, ladies. I want to know a little bit about what makes you guys tick in a work-life relationship. But the most pivotal question has to be what is your drink of choice drink of choice i am a um a whiskey drinker mainly um canadian whiskey is my drink of choice i just can't go past it uh normally i'm a wine girl but uh lately i've been a little bit partial to french pear martinis fancy so the next question is is around obviously you guys are in a communications business together and I know for a fact that you guys have distinct areas that you both work in. So what would you call your zones of genius in your biz- within your business? Um, well, for me, I'm sort of more into the, the marketing, digital marketing, social media, EDM, you know, traditional marketing, content creation, which I think is sort of where we cross over as well. But yeah, mine's more the content creation on the marketing side of things. Mm, and uh, my background is in public relations, and I love doing the really strategic, nitty-gritty, persuasive, you know, big financial deals, you know, controversial issues in the community, that sort of thing. So that's sort of what I do from the PR perspective, but I was a journo for a lot of years, and so I would consider myself a bit of a wordsmith, and creative writing's my jam as well. How did you guys meet and decide that this was something you were going to make a work relationship as well as a friendship? Well, we actually met at work. So we both were journos at a local paper. So that's sort of where our friendship began. And Nikki was... was my boss and used to criticize what I wore <laughs> all the time because I... Only when she wore brightly colored bras under see-through shirts. <laughs> hey, I was young, okay? Give me a break. It was definitely not the worst outfit that I've had to send people home for, that's for sure. But was a chief of staff at the time and yeah. Rain was journo. So we sort of, that's sort of where our friendship began. And then we sort of roughly kept in contact over the years. Lorraine moved around a lot. I never went anywhere. So Lorraine got to have all these amazing, exciting, different career opportunities and career paths. And But it was probably not until... Lorraine sort of moved back here that we sort of just started talking about these ideas and I sort of just kept saying to Lorraine oh yeah I've always loved the idea of having my own business whereas Lorraine was more like I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and yeah it sort of just and then I begged her (laughs) and harassed her until she agreed to leave her full-time that's the persuasiveness coming through (laughs) I would definitely I would definitely not say begged I think there was a bit of arm twisting and a few scotches (laughs) bought did she do ever grovel on her hands and knees? That's the question. I did consider it. 
in hindsight, I wish I had have like made her, but <laughs> oh, you are kinky. <laughs> but I think it was just, you know, it sort of was born out of starting the magazine and it just, it sounded like a great idea. I love the idea of getting back into media. And I think, you know, Lorraine's always had such a clear vision for what it was going to be and, and not even like a vision of for when it started, but like a vision into the future of like where it was going to go long-term. And it was sort of just, it was a bit of a no-brainer really. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> you can see why she's in PR. She did the same thing to me in a way as well. She planted the seed with me about two years ago about the magazine as well. I was like, yeah, mm. I want a part of that. And then she'd sort of... Oh, that's because when I I'd sit up late at night breastfeeding my children thinking, not both at the same time, they're different ages, but, um, but I'd sit up late at night you know, plotting how I was going to take over the world. You know, my husband and I, are, you know, we joke that we're pinky in the brain. You know, what are we doing tonight, brain? <laughs> Planning to take over the world, one magazine at a time. You know, it's that sort of ridiculous nonsense that we carry on with. So, I loved pinky in the brain. Yeah, it was great. And I, I still quote it as well. So that explains a lot about why we get along. Although I feel like there's definitely days I'm a lot more connected closely to pinky than brain. Oh, when I had mum brain, when I when I had mummy brain, uh, I was definitely pinky on those days. But yep. The next question I have, and this one might make Lorraine tear up again. What do you value most in each other in your work relationship? For me, I think what I value most is Lorraine's vision. Her it's not determination, but it's just like her commitment. Stubbornness. No, not the stubbornness. <laughs> like it's you're just so committed. You believe 100% in what we're doing. I think, you know, having just stepped out of full-time work, I have been a lot slower to get there and I'm probably still working on that. But particularly like this year, as we've sort of started this venture and COVID has hit and everything has changed, and everyone's in the same situation. You know, if it, if it wasn't for Lorraine, I'd probably still be like rocking back and forth in a corner somewhere. <laughs> Whereas Lorraine, she'll have, she might have a pity party for 30 seconds and then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do then? And yeah, her vision is just so strong that I'm really grateful that I have that. And there's always somebody just pushing ahead no matter what. For me with Nikki, I, I think it's that I feel like we're each other's yin and yang. Mm. And I joke about that all the time, but Nikki is my calm. Like when I'm running around like a chook with my head cut off going, we've got to do this. And what about this? And have we, we thought about this? And Nikki will be like, yes, but Lorene, first we need to do this. And so it's Nikki's calming presence that I love and also her work ethic. I don't know anyone that can churn through the sheer volume of work that Nikki churns through because I will go and look at the fridge, go and put on a load of washing. And in the meantime, Nikki's done, you know, all this work. Nikki's honest with me. Like, you know, we, if I have an idea She'll say, yeah, that's great, Lorene, but have you thought about this? Like, she's my my realism, I think. Mm. And so, yeah, she's my, Nikki's my zen. And I think that's probably how we can find a happy balance because, you know, I definitely feel that too. Like, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, if we were both manic, it would be awful. You just chuck me, me in the mix once in a while to get the magazine going and I just sort of, like, mess with everything. 
No, no, it's good. We need all we need all the types all mixed in there. And that's the thing we with Nikki and I, I think both by nature are very collaborative people mm. and we love, we don't ever think that we both have all the answers. And so we, when we work with people, we love getting their input and ideas as well, because they might just bring, you know, help us take it from this level to this level and just raise our game that little bit. So, you know, we, we want to always be learning and striving and improving what we do, you know, having fun along the way. That actually perfect segue into my next question, which is all about collaboration over competition. So we all come from corporate backgrounds and I feel like in so many ways, women feel like we have to fit within a certain box in those corporate spaces. And the competition isn't necessarily always the healthiest. And now that you guys are in a space where you can basically drive your own values and the fact that you value collaboration over competition, what other ways do you do that to build community around you and your business? I don't know. That, that's a that's a tricky one because I, I feel like it's just about positivity. And if you share a common goal, which for us really is about growing the community that we live in, improving the quality of people's lives, bringing positivity to the region that we live, because we do live in a low socioeconomic area with high unemployment. Um, but that's not our entire story. And there's a lot of really great things happening here too. And so I think because we go in with an attitude of how can we all work together to achieve a common goal? I think that is how we get people to come on board and come on that journey with us. The only people we should be in competition with is ourselves. And that is to improve what we do. It's not to compete with anyone else. Don't get me wrong. If some bitch came in and stole our ideas, I'd want to thump them. But but for the most part, you know, like we don't want to reinvent the wheel, you know, like we're running a magazine. Yes. Just to give you one example of how we collaborate, you know, there's lots of different events, promotional platforms and things here in our region. And, you know, everyone in the market research we did for the magazine early on, everyone said, oh, we want, a, we want an event section in the magazine. We thought, okay, we'll do that. But rather than us reinvent the wheel, we're going to draw together information from four different event platforms in Bundaberg. And the five of us will join together and collaborate rather than working in competition to each other. Mm. So like we've got one that's a tourism focus, one that's a council community events focus, one that's gigs, one that's for kids events and things. So between us, we sort of bring all those together rather than us redoing something that other people are already doing. And the other thing is too, I think you have to have confidence that you're not really in competition with people because no one can do it like we do it. Yeah. Sorry. I know that sounds arrogant, but it's true. Like if you're confident in what you do and you know, you're good at it, then don't be afraid to say that. And other women shouldn't be either. Sorry. I'll get a soapbox now. <laughs> I believe that more people need to be on that soapbox in a, in a positive light. I, I'm in so many Facebook groups now or I was in the past and I've, unfollowed them but the ones that I've stayed in and the ones that I choose to, to be an active member of they're these really uplifting environments everyone is stepping up to the mark in that positive space and everyone is stepping up in a unique way these days and realizing the value in that there is space for all of us so Lorreen has had a huge public relations background and I'm going to be honest when I first heard the term PR I had to look up what it stood for a few years ago <laughs> So for people that possibly have a slightly antiquated view of what public relations means, in a modern world, what do you believe that public relations can do for a business? 
and the importance of it in today's society. There are so many people nowadays calling themselves marketers and saying that they do marketing when really it's almost like they're interchanging the word sales for marketing. And I find the same thing happens sometimes with public relations and marketing, but public relations really is enhancing your reputation as an organization or individual. And public relations can be everything from community event participation to speaking at conferences, to writing letters to your stakeholders, to, I mean, really it's how you engage with your your audience. And in terms of what it can add to business, if you've got a story to tell and it's newsworthy or has some news value to it, you have the power to get some great publicity for your business without paying for it. And that's a really, a really key thing, I think. And that's where you know, Nikki and I in the magazine, sometimes if businesses have got a great story to tell, we'll try and sway them from a traditional advertisement to an actual article because it's always, I guess, probably when you look at it in terms of editorial content, uh, the difference between PR and marketing probably would be, you know, marketing is quite often you saying how good you are, whereas PR is getting other people to say how good you are. And I think that is probably a, a bit of a distinction as well. But yeah, it's it's really just reputation management and building trusting relationships with people, I would say. That would have been really useful to know when I didn't know what PR stood for. So thank you. So I know that both of you met through quite traditional print publications, which I'm a print girl through and through. I still love the smell of fresh print off the printer. I kind of weirdly like the smell of toner. There is just something about print. And I think it's because I came from a time when I first started going out into a graphic design field that having something in print as a graphic designer was the pinnacle because there was just so much thought and so much consideration put into it because they knew that it was such an investment and it needed to achieve a really specific goal. It's a, it's a little bit the same, Rowena, when you'll never forget the feeling you have with your first byline mm-hmm. in a newspaper. Like that just stays with you forever. And, you know, and then you, you know you've reached another level in your career when they start quoting your, your work in books and biographies and things that are written about people. Like you get a real kick out of that, you know, cause as journos, we're usually, and graphic designers, we're usually behind the scenes. So it's nice occasionally when you get a bit of credit for what you've done. I have to admit, I was rather chuffed to have my photo in the magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a magazine without our star team. I've noticed that you've both shared a lot of articles recently with a lot of publications that are seemingly going under because they possibly haven't moved with the times or just because it is such a hard sell these days. And I'm of the thought process that it's kind of like when you look at Apple versus some of the other computer industries that possibly haven't kept up with this. It's about innovation and it's about creative thinking because print used to be really expensive. It used to be the way that people communicated like there wasn't any other options basically there wasn't web there wasn't this I I think there's a little bit more to it than that though I mean our whole landscapes change you know back in the day of of good old newspapers they were owned by one family they weren't publicly listed companies that needed to maximize their profits for all of the shareholders it was a bit of a, a love job for the owners I think a lot of the time so there's that there's the rise of social media But I think also, you know, all the feedback we get locally is a big part of it is actually loyalty. So, you know, for example, we have advertisers that have come to us and said, you know, 
I used to book for the last 10 years, I've had the front page of the paper every Saturday. And now they've told me I can't have it because Woolworths is going on there. So they're favoring these big guys that pay more money over the little local businesses, which shows them that they're not really valued. They've sent a lot of their graphic design work overseas. You know, there's all those sorts of issues that play into it. But interestingly, Rowena, there is a common perception that print is dying. And that may be true in the newspaper field, but Nikki pulled up some research the only the other day that actually showed that lifestyle magazines have actually increased significantly, not just through COVID, but even before that, their rise in popularity, they may not be buying them from news agents, but they're getting delivered to their homes because people are wanting lifestyle. And it's very true. Nikki, what else do you have to say around that? Well, I was just going to say um, in, in terms of local newspapers, obviously, you know, News Corp have decided not to continue publishing most of their regional and smaller titles. But I think newspaper print decline has been of its own making. Like even when, you know, we were working in newspapers, which you know, sort of sounds long ago, but probably wasn't like, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, even then it was hyper local. It was publishing the social notices and about the sense sales and the school fates. It was publishing that. It was publishing photos. It was criticizing councils for rate increases. And who's going to do that now? Yeah, it was just, it was doing the little things that people got a kick out of seeing in their paper And as they've tried to do this hybrid into digital, it really has become journalism. It's become reliant on whatever they can find on Facebook. Questions aren't being Yeah, we used to get our stories at the pub. (laughs) (laughs) But so all of a sudden, you know, I do think people stopped buying the paper, but I think that's because that it wasn't reflective of what they wanted to see. Whereas, you know, now I think you know, publications like ours, we can show people what they want to see, you know, and positivity about the region and and that sort of thing. And I I remember I was living in Adelaide working for Australian Associated Press and I remember being at a media dinner one night and talking to people about, and that was right at the height of where they were starting to talk about introducing paywalls and things like that for digital subscriptions. And Depending on what stories got the highest click rates online during the day, they were letting that dictate where they got placed in the paper. So papers are, the way stories are laid out in a paper is really dictated based on newsworthiness and value and all those, there's a whole lot of factors that go into it. But they were allowing what people were clicking on to dictate where the story would be placed in the paper. And at the time, the concerning thing with that is that it seemed to me that what the news bosses weren't realising is that they were two distinctly different audiences. So the people that were reading their newspaper online at that point were typically young people who work in offices and sit at computers all day, whereas the older people or people with families were the ones reading the paper. So they had different interests and that's why we've now seen the rise of celebrity news and, you know, scandal and soap type stuff over versus the coverage of of real news and Nikki only posted on this on Facebook yesterday but I think Nikki had a really pertinent point which was that I don't think people don't like print I think they just didn't like you know what was being included in it or it wasn't reflective or you know I I feel like you know we've always said people want to stop the scrolling they want they want something decent to read so 
Yeah. And I think too, the point Nikki raised the other day is that, you know, confirmation bias is a thing. And Nikki pointed out to me, you know, when you pick up a newspaper, there's other stories that you wouldn't normally read that are suddenly put in front of you and you learn about something that's bigger than yourself that you might, may not have considered before. Whereas with online news, there's such a vast array of stuff on there that you, you, only, you only click on things and read things that fit and conform to your worldview. And so that it's not diversifying people's minds and teaching them things about things that are bigger than themselves. And I think that's a really sad thing. And I think it probably also with regards to putting value in print as well, is that a lot of people have a very traditional view of what print is. It's a flyer, it's a business card, it's, it's these things that they've kind of got an antiquated view on a little bit. And I feel that so many people have done, gone to the other extreme and suddenly they're doing everything online. But I've worked in advertising agencies before and the fact that you guys are in marketing, for me, both of those spaces are about coming up with creative solutions to sell things in a different way or to present yourself in a different way when print went really cheap. Let's be honest, there was a period where print was really expensive back in the day and it had everything went through like 10 proofing processes before you even could get to send something to the printer. Then it went through a really cheap time. You know, when suddenly everything went digital and suddenly everything was a lot more mass manufactured and the value of it just distinctly decreased. I remember, you know, people tuning out just crap, like there was no value put on what was going out there. And I feel like we're, we're on the, the upward swing again now, where people are starting to put value again into something that adds to their lives or it tells a story in a different way. And I think people forget that print can do that. Mm. I think like as a marketer, you know, it's something really important, like, you know, and we say it all the time with the magazines, like don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, you know, there's nothing that can replicate being able to pick up something and hold it in your hands and look at it and turn it over. And, you know, it goes for advertising and marketing and publishing and everything. Like I still to this day, I would say I'm a digital person. I am majority digital. I don't generally watch free-to-air TV, all that kind of thing. But I still pick up all the flyers out of the letterbox and, you know, see what's happening out there and, you know, what services I might need and, you know, take away, like all that sort of thing. So you can't underestimate the power of print and, mm. and what it can do for your business. And and there's other things too. Like I, I recently had a business, a new business to town, and I suggested to them that they do a leaflet drop, letterbox drop. And a friend of theirs who's a marketing expert said, letterbox drops don't work. No one does them, blah, blah, blah. They got so many leads from that letterbox drop. And apart from the initial cost of graphic design and printing, the letterbox drop, I think was about 40 $40 to a thousand letterboxes. They got so many leads from it. You know, there's a reason that Big W and Kmart and, and all of those big guys still do mass mail catalogs and it's because they work. Mm. You know, we forget those things. Not everyone is on social media. I know that that's where a large portion of your focus should be, but you know, Nikki and I speak about it all the time and say to people, don't do all your marketing through social media because if your page or platform suddenly gets shut down tomorrow, you lose all of those contacts and you now have no way of communicating with your clients. 
So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that some people consider to be old school, but, you know, sometimes the, the tried and tested methods are the best. And that actually brings me full circle. A lot of where my clients are based is actually not locally. And it's a space that I'm slowly looking at stepping out into. And you guys have mastered this. You guys are involved in your community and you know what's going on. So for what advice would you give people that they're looking at stepping into their local space? What ways have you seen that one have impact and two things that they could be doing to making more connections in their local community? I think if you haven't been there for a long time, like you've got to remember Nikki was born here and and has lived here for a long time. I moved here from Sydney when I was 16 and then moved away again to go to uni, came back again to start my career at the paper. And then I went off traveling for 10 or 15 years for work as well, and then have come back to have a family and start the magazine. So we have well-established relationships here, but certainly the new relationships I've built just through talking to people you know when you go into a shop and you buy something just get chatting to the shop owner you know it it sounds silly but we have got so many leads for our magazine just through chatting to people and it takes a bit of time but it's well worth it and then you you get an understanding of what makes that business tick who the owners are and what they actually need to help them strive and succeed rather than this cookie cutter one size fits all approach because We do have a few whiz-bang marketing gurus here, but a lot of the time they try to apply these really slick marketing tactics. And we've even tried them ourselves in our own business. So it's not like we haven't had failures. We have. We've tried some of those slick email sales techniques and things that you're told you should be doing in business. And they've just flopped. And we've had far more success with picking up the phones and just going out and actually talking to people in person. So I think it's what works for your business specifically. If you are an online business, then go with online. But really, it's just knowing who your client avatar or persona is and and how they work and operate. You know, if you're dealing with older people, there's no sense doing all your marketing digitally. I mean, I'm doing stuff at the moment for a new skin cancer clinic that's come to town. A lot of their patients are older people. You know, yes, we will do some digital marketing for them, but a large portion of it will be through radio and... and Not the newspaper. No, well, it won't be around. <laughs> but um, And the magazine and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, it, it's really knowing who your audience is more than anything. Right, ladies, best tips that you have for PR, marketing and print? What would you say to people if they're looking at stepping into those spaces? Um, Well, for marketing, like what I find is most small businesses just get really overwhelmed with marketing and they don't know what to do or they think they can't do it or they struggle to sort of see what sort of value that it can add to their business. But I think the biggest thing is to just take a little bit of time and it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but a little bit of time just to plan it out and break it down so it doesn't become this huge task of like, oh, I've got to plan out all this social media stuff or I've got to, you know, plan emails or write blogs or, you know, do this. Like work out for your business what that should look like over a month and maybe that's only four things. And if it's only four things, we'll be like, okay, we'll do one thing a week. So it's about taking a look at at what you want to do, what you need to do, and just breaking it down into really manageable steps and do one thing at a time. You just, it's impossible to try and 
start from nothing and do everything all at once. You just can't do it. So do one thing at a time, break it down into small steps. And, you know, if it's just not your thing, put your time into something that you're good at and get someone else to do well, it. <laughs> I think I think that's a really good point, Nick, because we see so many people that we come on board that, that bring us in and say, we need your help. And we go in there and they've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, website, blogs, emails. And that's fine if you're a really big business, but if they're not doing any of them well and might only post on LinkedIn or Twitter once every six months, then what's the point in doing it at all? Like master one or two platforms and then move on to the others, I think. You know, get your head around one and then go, okay, we've mastered that one. Now let's add another one. Don't fall into the trap of feeling like you need to be on all of them because ultimately your audience may not be on Twitter or LinkedIn. You know, because I worked with one business and they really wanted to get their marketing sorted. They were very overwhelmed with it, but they were very particular about what they wanted to say. They wanted to use their own tone of voice and, and sort of have it the way they wanted it. So I was able to sort of just help them come up with a bit of a strategy and say, all right, well, these are the things you should do on these days. And this is when you should do these things. And once they had a plan that they could see, and it's like, oh, okay. So I know I only have to do one of these or two of these or whatever. They're then able, it's it's more manageable and they can delegate it where they need to. And they still have that creative control of what they want to do. And I think that's a really powerful um, concept as well with regards to marketing is, you know, you're not going to, everyone jumps in feet first basically and, and needs all the things and is ready for the next whiz bang thing. And oh my gosh, we should be on TikTok, but it needs to be that <laughs> traditional print girl over yeah. here. <laughs> you're not going to see results. Like if you just jump in feet first, without doing it with any purpose behind it, then you're going to lose being able to actually analyze whether it's had an effect. If you're spreading yourself that thin, look at really providing some value and some content that's really going to connect in the space that your people are actually hanging out. Hands down, it's going to have more effect than spreading yourself too thin and just going, well, I can't be bothered anymore. Mm. And I think my, my top tip for print would be hire a graphic designer. Like that just has to be... Ding, ding, ding. Yes, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, buddy you up or, um, you know, do anything yes, you like are. that. Don't no, no. <laughs> but, you know, Butter away. I'm okay with it. <laughs> if you are going to the effort to put something into print, make it look beautiful, make it look like your brand. I have seen some just shocking stuff that people have done up themselves on their computer and it just devalues everything you would try and do as a brand. So I just think yeah, if you're going to the effort to put something in print, make it beautiful. Cool. Um, cool. I think from a PR perspective, I have three words for you and I hope I don't go blank midway through. Hold on, I'll repeat that. Um, no, I have... In, 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 um, in terms of PR, I have three words for you. Consistency, repetition, and authenticity. Um, and the reason I say those three things is that uh, there's an old rule in politics that you have to say something 10 times for someone to hear it once. So write your business mission or your... Um, or your slogan or your um, catchphrase or your branding um, guideline and use that 
again and again and again, all the time. Um, be consistent. So if you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, you know, be consistent in your approach, your messaging, your timing, so that people know they can rely on you and your business um, as well. And the other thing with about being authentic, so I ran an election campaign a few years ago. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on the candidate um, to come out and criticise his opponent um, very strongly. But this guy was um, a really positive person in the community and wanted to remain positive and didn't want to change who he was um, to run for election. So uh, we ran a positive campaign despite people constantly breathing down our necks saying we should be doing this, that and the other. Um, and he was one of the very few people that completely bucked the trend to win the seat and go against the grain of um, where the swing was in terms of the pendulum during that election. So, um, so if you're authentic, people can see that and they will back you for it and support you for it. So um, just be true to who you are. Hmm. And I think that's a perfect time to finish. So uh, thank you, ladies, for coming to Work Wife Wine Time. I think you've definitely earned your cold beverage of choice this afternoon or two, <laughs> maybe three. And, um, yeah, and I look forward to chatting to you guys Thanks, soon. Rowena. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.